You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Despite being four years and 190 episodes into this podcast, there are still so many stories that I've always wanted to get around to. Well, today makes a great excuse to do one of those. The actual excuse being that when this episode drops, I will have spent four of the previous five days at a voiceover conference. So I needed to do something that I would be super into, could write quickly, and that's how we got to this travel size episode. So enjoy this story of one of my all-time favorite scams. My name's Moxie, and this is your Brain on Facts. Remember back in episode 155, Hate to Burst Your Bubble, we talked about, among other things, the Florida real estate boom and bust of the 1920s? It's where we get the phrase, if you believe that, I have some real estate in Florida to sell you. 100 years before that, we could have been saying, I have some acreage in Poye to sell you. Never been to Poye? Trust me, it's amazing. The weather is always perfect, sunny and warm. Located along the eastern coast of present-day Nicaragua and Honduras, the soil of Poye is so fertile, you can get three crops of corn per year. The trees are heavy with fruit, and the forests teem with entrees in the form of game animals. If you look into the rivers, you'll not only see water clearer and more pure than you've ever seen in your life, and more fish than you could hope to catch. But in the riverbed, the sparkle of gold fills the eye. Not from flecks and dust, but nuggets as big as walnuts, just laying there, waiting for you to scoop them up. The only thing missing is you. That is to say, settlers, to develop and leverage its resources to the fullest. Want to get your share? You better hurry. Hundreds of people are investing all their savings for a piece of the perfect Poye. Just visit the office of the Kazik or Prince of Poye. And who is the prince of this equatorial New World paradise? A Highlander named Gregor McGregor. McGregor was born in 1786. His father, who died when Gregor was four, was a captain sailing for the East India Company. So adventuring on a quest for riches might well have been in his blood. A clever chap from the get-go, Gregor enrolled in the University of Edinburgh at age 15, though he never finished his degree. No shade to throw there. I'm a three-time community college dropout, and look how I turned out. <sighs> at age 17, McGregor took after his grandfather and joined the British Army, where he quickly rose up the ranks to lieutenant, captain, and major, largely by buying the next rank up, but that was pretty much how it was done back then. Two years after enlisting, 
McGregor married a Royal Navy Admiral's daughter, and a mere five years after that, probably because he had married into money, retired from military service. The young couple moved to London, where McGregor called himself Sir and claimed to be a baronet, which ranks just underneath baron in the British noble hierarchy, and is apparently a modest enough lie that no one would think to put the time and effort into checking it out. But Easy Street only lasted another year before his wife died. No more wife meant no more wealthy in-laws, so McGregor sold his Scottish estate and relocated to Caracas, Venezuela, where he married another wealthy family's daughter. Never let it be said he wasn't consistent. Wife number two was actually a cousin of Simon Bolivar, of Bolivia fame. McGregor was able to sell his military prowess to Francisco de Miranda, the Venezuelan revolutionary general. There was rather a lot of revolution going on in Spanish colonies at the time, while Spain was well distracted, dealing with a certain, actually of average height, French emperor. At least McGregor wasn't lying about his soldiery, securing a number of victories and becoming a notable figure for the revolutionary set all across Latin America. In 1820, McGregor moved to the Mosquito Coast, a former British colony in Nicaragua, which, true to its name, was a swampy and pest-infested area that Europeans had until that point left to the Mosquito natives. In 1830, he traded jewelry and rum for 8 million acres of land. Now, that was either an F-ton of rum or the land was utterly worthless. I'll give you three guesses. The shore gave way immediately to almost impenetrable swamps and jungle. And that was it. Even the indigenous people of the region didn't live there. The land was completely useless for farming. Kind of a big deal, being the production of foodstuffs and whatnot. Realizing there was no way he could draw people in with the land as it was, McGregor decided to draw them in with the land as it wasn't. So he headed back to England, where he was well-known in society circles for his military achievements, leading men into battle against great odds. Society not knowing that he'd also abandoned his men. Twice. But he rubbed elbows with the muckety-mucks nonetheless, telling them all about his new world paradise, the Republic of Poirier. And he went so far beyond Baron Munchausian storytelling. McGregor made up an entire country and everything that goes along with it. To hear him tell it, Poirier was not an impenetrable parasite-ridden jungle, but a glorious tableau with thriving civilization, a parliament, banks, an opera house, and cathedral. The weather was ideal, a perpetual summer that was very appealing to Londoners and Scotsmen alike. The soil was so rich that farming required almost no labor. The rivers that wound down the mountains were full of fish and the surrounding forests full of game. In this dubious district, the capital of St. Joseph had a massive infrastructure and population of about 20,000 people. The economy was robust, if you felt like doing anything other than scooping up all that gold. 
McGregor had pamphlets printed promoting Poyers, and they sold in the thousands on the streets of London and Edinburgh. He started a nationwide campaign to attract investment, taking out big ads in newspapers, and even opening physical sales offices. The world-building that went into this scam would have made George R.R. Martin blush. Maybe even J.R.R. Tolkien, the man who gave us three pages of backstory on a tree. Feel free to at me on social media, Facebook and Instagram, Your Brain on Facts, Twitter, Brain on Facts Pod, TikTok, Moxie Labouche, if you disagree. I love a spirited nerd debate. McGregor came up with a tricameral parliament and a commercial banking system. Like an African dictator, he designed Poyean military uniforms, several, different ones for different regiments. He published a 350-page guidebook under the pen name Thomas Strangeways, which I really feel like should have been a tip-off to somebody, with a sliver of real facts about the region, but the Pac-Man portion of the pie chart all came from his preposterous posterior. As the author of the 200-page Your Brain on Facts companion book, made with all the benefits of modern technology, I'm not even mad. I'm impressed. The book was full of detailed sketches, and McGregor had a seemingly endless supply of official-looking documents. He set up offices in London, Glasgow, and Edinburgh to sell land certificates, which people eagerly bought. The whole operation looked completely legit. You wouldn't even think to question it. McGregor didn't just succeed in his con, he was wildly successful. Not only did he raise £200,000 directly, but he convinced seven ships worth of eager people to make their way across the ocean. It became a popular investment, and many sank their life savings into a land deed in the Republic of Poyet. A London bank underwrote a £2,000 loan, that's about £23 million or $30 million today, secured with the land sales. McGregor was signing up settlers left and right. Settlers meant development, which meant the value of the bonds and land certificates would go up, which would attract more settlers and investors, driving the price up further. Skilled tradesmen were promised free passage and, ostensibly, government contract work. Don't think that it was only undereducated people falling victim to this. Civil servants, bankers, doctors, you name it. Whole families signed up and packed their bags. In September 1822, the first 50 settlers sailed for Poyer and were very confused when they landed. There was nothing there. No port, not even a dock. I mean, there were trees and snakes and mosquitoes, but there was no city, no road, no nothing. The settlers thought they'd been dropped off in the wrong place, but they couldn't get a ride to the right place because that ship had sailed. Literally, the ship left them immediately. So they set up camp. 150 more people, including children, joined them shortly. They searched for civilization as best they could, truly believing the enormous city of St. Joseph was here somewhere. But the rainy season descended on them, bringing on clouds of mosquitoes, whose tiny bags were packed with yellow fever and malaria. 
a few settlers who were saved by a passing ship informed the British colony of Honduras about the situation. The colony organized a rescue mission, but only a third of the population was still alive at that point. In the meantime, five more ships set sail for Poirier. These were stopped by the Honduran government. They were informed that the place they were sailing to didn't exist. It was Mickey Mouse, mate. Spurious, not genuine. Twisting the knife counterclockwise, the Mosquito King revoked the land grant and told them they were all now illegal squatters and had to either swear allegiance to him or GTFO. Dozens of settlers were too weak to leave. In a particularly depressing bit of math, of the 250 or so who set sail for Poirier, all their hopes and dreams pinned to this mythical land, 180 died. And that's not even the crazy bit. Of those 70 or so who barely survived the ordeal, many of them did not blame McGregor. Six of the survivors, including one man who lost two children, signed an affidavit insisting the blame lay not with McGregor, but with Hector Hall, a former army officer who was supposed to be in charge of the settlement. They declared, We believe that Sir Gregor McGregor has been worse used by Colonel Hall and his other agents than was ever a man before, and that had they done their duty by Sir Gregor and by us, things would have turned out very differently at Poyer. McGregor claimed he'd been a victim too, defrauded and embezzled from by his own agents and undermined by merchants in British Honduras because the richness of Poyer threatened their businesses. Now, I love a Scottish accent, but that had to be one charming melon farmer. McGregor didn't know it, but he'd actually been using the Six Principles of Persuasion. These come from a 1984 book by Robert Cialdini, Influence and the Psychology of Persuasion, which looks at the factors that affect the decisions people make, especially as pertains to sales and marketing, naturally. At the core of his work is the idea that decision-making is an effort. Individuals use a lot of rules of thumb and decision-making shortcuts when deciding what to do. And of course, once you know what those things are, you can manipulate them to your advantage. They are, if you're curious to know, authority in the sense that you're an authority on the subject, scarcity, reciprocity, i.e. you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, consistency, I still believe in this idea as much as I always have. Social validation. Everyone you know has one of these. And friendship or being liked. Picture the smile on a used car salesman. McGregor used all of these instinctively. He also knew how to get when the getting was good, and he skipped town when the scandal broke claiming he needed to take his wife to warm, dry Italy for her health, but actually headed across the channel to France and started the whole thing all over again. In Paris, he persuaded La Compagnie de la Nouvelle Nostrie, a firm of traders looking to break into the South American market, to seek investors and settlers for Poyer in France. In a matter of months, he had a whole new group of people ready to go. 
Concurrent to all this, he tried to get in good with King Ferdinand VII of Spain, proposing to make Poyer a Spanish protectorate and the base of operations from which Spain could reconquer Guatemala. Spain, at least, ignored MacGregor. MacGregor might not have realized that France was more stringent than England in its passport requirements when the government saw a flood of applications to a country no one had heard of, a commission was set up to investigate the matter. Or maybe McGregor just figured he was on a roll and was utterly bulletproof. This time, though, McGregor and his associates were arrested and tried. But he was found not guilty on all accounts, mostly because one of his accomplices was hiding in the Netherlands with a ton of incriminating documents the prosecution sorely needed. Once he felt that London had probably forgotten his colossal scam, he headed back and started another scam. Smaller this time, mind you. I guess he's learning. But this time, the bonds didn't sell well. And what's worse, for everyone, other fraudsters started pulling their own fake paradise scams following his model. McGregor retired to Edinburgh, then to Venezuela after the death of his wife, where he was granted citizenship and a pension as a retired general. He never faced any consequences for his actions regarding Poyer, and when he died in 1845, Gregor McGregor was buried with full military honors. So the moral of the story is, crime does pay? Well, that's a terrible lesson for the children. And that's where we run out of ideas, at least for today. I didn't have a header, so I don't have a footer. I'll just thank everyone for continuing to listen to the show, share social media, support the show on Patreon or Coffee, and generally just being your awesome Brainiac selves. Remember, you can always find the script and the source links at yourbrainonfacts.com. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and stay safe. you find it hard to sleep at night then the calm cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long calm cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires all of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast calm cove is brought to you by the team behind sleep cove the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis meditation and stories so if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight search for calm cove on apple podcasts or spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night <laughs>